Red to go. All right. All right. Come on. You know what song was stuck in my head today? Space Truckin'. Oh, jeez. I don't even know why. It just popped into my head this morning. The Deep Purple song? Yeah. Have you heard the Ace Frehley version? From- yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> it's on my list. Um, I don't know. The chord, come on, Space Truckin'. Yeah, uh, mm, I don't know why. Okay, uh, <clears throat> hey everybody, we're back. It's episode number 24 of Original Versus Cover. Hi, I'm DJ Crystal Clear, and this is engineer extraordinaire Dr. Paul Bertolino. Yo. <laughs> coming at you, coming in hot at As It Should Be Studios here in Crooklyn, New York on this fine summer day where it's cloudy and I think it's going to rain soon. Yeah, it's just been a little bit of rain today. Yeah, it's August. What are you going to do? All right. Song number one. Yeah! It's Pills. Pills. P-I-L-L-S. Pills. And the original was done by Bo Diddley in 1961. And I have one cover of this by the New York Dolls. Ow! <laughs> did you know that Bo Diddley did this first? Uh, no. Okay. So, uh, this is from the 1961, well, it was recorded in 61, but you'll find it on the chess box set called Bo Diddley. And um, he died in 2008, poor Bo Diddley. He was an American singer, guitarist, songwriter, music producer who played a key role in, he was one of the architects of rock and roll that turned blues into rock and roll. He influenced everybody. Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley, The Beatles, The Stones, The Animals, George Thorogood, The Clash. Even though Paul won't agree to that. <clears throat> His use of African rhythms and signature beat, simple five-accent hand-bone rhythm, is a cornerstone of hip-hop and rock and pop music. You can't deny it. Um, you know, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Blues Hall of Fame and yada, yada, yada. So... His uh, hit song was the Bo Diddley beat, which I think everybody knows and everybody has ripped off. But this song, Pills, um, if you know the the cover version, like it, this song is, it's kind of slower and bluesies, bluesy-ish, more so than like, like you know, gang-busting rock and roll. Um, and then the, the New York Dolls cover is, uh, you know... New York Dalsy. New York Dalsy. Todd Rungrenny, New York Dalsy. Just going for broke in there in the studio with two mics and just kicking ass. So uh, we're going to listen to both of these back to back and then pick a winner. Well, I was laying in a hospital bed. A rock and roll nurse went to my head. She says, hold out your arms and stick out your tongue. I got some pills, boy, I'm going to give you one. She went to my I think I have heard that. Um, yeah. 
I mean, rock and roll nurse? Hello? If, if you get to choose what kind of nurse you want, I mean, you which want, are, what other kind of nurse would you, you want? You definitely want a rock and roll nurse. Yeah. I wish I could have had a rock and roll nurse when I was in the hospital. Right. Damn it. All right, so uh, who's your winner here? Oh, well, New York Dolls. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it, just, it just has that sort of trashier feel that I think fits the, the song better. Completely. Yeah. And, you know, no shade to Bo Diddley, but this is very stereotypical sound for that. That's a time capsule, yeah. you know. It's a little it's a little stiff and rigid. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's like borderline corny. Yeah. I wish that he could have cut loose and, like, really... Like, if he did that with a Bo Diddley beat, it would have been better. But, yeah, the New York Dolls win that, hands down. All right, song number two, Tomorrow Never Knows. Does it? Uh, well, yeah. I, I think, think I know what the cover is, too. Really? I think I do. Mm, all right, well... I mean, I, I, may be, I may be thinking of this at face value. <laughs> Hint. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well, you're wrong. I'm wrong. Wow. <laughs> you're wrong. You, yeah. you know the cover I'm thinking of. Yes, I do. Yeah. And I was thinking about it, but I didn't do it. <clears throat> wow, okay. Instead, I chose Junior Parker. Now, that one I don't know. Okay. So, uh, well, we'll talk about the original. It's done by the Beatles. Hello. Doy. It's their psychedelic psych out song, the last track on Revolver. Yes. Came out in 1966. A mere three years after Love Me Do. How crazy is that? So, it, it nowadays it takes people that long to make the next album. The Beatles went from Love Me Do to fucking Tomorrow Never Knows in three, three. years, motherfuckers. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> put that in your pipe and yeah, smoke it. Put that in your Rolling Stones and yeah, I mean, right. I mean, uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> <coughs> eat your hat or whatever they yeah, say. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know what to say about it. It's it's tomorrow never knows. It's, I mean, you, it's it's the Beatles doing tomorrow never knows. When we get to it, you'll listen to it. And if you haven't heard it, uh, yeah, just just. Play Love Me Do in your head before you get to it so you can have and a little then, bit of contrast. Yes, and then listen to that, and then you're gonna, your mind is going to... Yeah. You're, yeah, you're... Eh, eh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so because it was the 60s and it was psychedelic and hippies and drugs and things, uh, for people who don't know, because there are people who wouldn't know this, um, Lennon drew inspiration from his experiences with the hallucinogenic drug... Hallucinogenic... I can't even talk... <laughs> you've been you've been experimenting with those hallucinogenic drugs. <laughs> Thank you, hallucinogenic drug LSD, lysergic something something, and from the book The Psychedelic Experience, a manual based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead, by Timothy Leary, Richard Alpert, and Ralph Metzner. So everybody knows that uh, they dropped acid and hung out with Timothy Leary and those weirdos on that bus. What was that bus called? Uh, oh shit, I don't remember. Uh, further? No. Oh, further is what it said on the bus, but that was yeah. the name of it. It was some kind of bus, and they had a name for themselves. Yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it features an Indian inspired modal backing of the tambura and sitar drone with the bass guitar, minimal harmonic deviation from a single chord, underpinned by a constant but non standard drum pattern, and then all these kooky tape loops. 
where the band overdubbed live onto the rhythm track. Part of Lennon's vocal was through a Leslie speaker cabinet, normally used for a Hammond organ. The song's backwards parts and effects mark the first use of reversed sounds in a pop recording, although the Beatles' 1966 B-side, Rain, which they recorded soon afterwards, uses the same technique. was issued three months before Revolver. Um, they were called the... Merry Pranksters. Thank you, Merry Pranksters. I, Fuck. I, Paul had to look it up in a book. <laughs> you know what's funny is I actually... It, it actually came to me before I found it in the book, but I was looking it up. Yeah, Merry Pranksters. Those hippies on acid. So, um... You know, it was psychedelic, it was electronic, it was kooky, it was weird, they did all the experimental shit. And, but uh, one, thing nobody, one thing that nobody talks about, though, you know, because everybody's like, ah, oh, Lennon, what a genius. Let's talk about he it. Got the, he got the whole tape loop thing from Paul. Paul was doing tape loops before he was. Right. So, that's, so that part of it kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's Paul's influence. Yeah. But because they had to have even Steven, uh, you know, it's Lennon McCartney, right? On the, mm-hmm. on the credits? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's psychedelic and crazy. All right, so the cover by Junior Parker is from, an, <laughs> it's from his 1971 album, Love Ain't Nothing But a Business Going On. <laughs> huh? <laughs> <laughs> <That's> huh? <laughs> and the cover is some woman with an afro, like, either leaning on a car or getting out of a car. She looks kind of like a hooker. I'm not really sure what's happening. It's weird. But, you know, Junior Parker. So his version is an instrumental. And uh, it's a very weird and very spare arrangement. It's almost ghost-like. Hmm. It's really... I kind of dig it. It's, it's pretty cool. So we're going to listen to the Junior Parker, because we don't need to listen to the Beatles. No. And, uh, and then talk about it. Well, actually, no, no, no. You, we are going to listen to the Beatles, oh, and we, we here, oh, here, here and now aren't going to listen to the Beatles, but, but you, you will be listening to the Beatles. So let's make no it. mistake. I'm going to make sure <laughs> you, you listen to the Beatles. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Thank 
Anderson. <laughs> Get on it. Yeah. <laughs> a Wes Anderson soundtrack inclusion in three, two, two one. Yeah. yeah. So how about that? Isn't that kooky? Yeah. I like it. Well. It's different. Yeah. I But, but I feel like it needs to pep up a little. It needs to go somewhere. You know, it's kind of like that's good as, as a, to start. Yeah. But it's got to build. It should have like, been. Just, just doing that for the whole time, it's just like, oh, dude. It should have ramped up at the first chorus. Yeah. Because I mean, the Beatles version really kind of is one thing all the way through, but there's a lot happening from the minute it starts, so you don't really... Yeah, you're not waiting for anything. No. It's just all of a sudden you're just you're just in a fucking like yeah yeah you're in a tornado from the beginning <laughs> right. like from the minute it starts. So. Yes, and this is yeah, <laughs> but I like it. Uh, but the Beatles win. Oh God, yeah. But I like it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. And even though it wasn't brought up and it wasn't actually the cover you're talking about, the Phil Collins version loses. <laughs> Even not being in the running, running the Phil Collins version loses. loses. Uh, what was he thinking? Was he thinking? Was he thinking? Oh, dear. All right. Song number three. I didn't mean to turn you on. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and um, this was a song originally performed by Sherelle in 1984. And it was written and produced and played and manufactured and everything by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. You know, the Minneapolis sound. Um, Sherelle, it was a modest hit for her. Uh, Palmer's cover did better, which, eh, whatever. Um, Yeah, so hers came out in 84. Robert Palmer did it. It came out in 86. And... um, Sherelle's was a hit on the R&B charts, and his was a hit on the pop chart. And never the twain shall meet. Right. Even though he was on Soul Train and did this, did this song. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure. Amir, please confirm with me. He would know, because he knows every episode inside out and backwards. Um, But I'm pretty sure I remember him doing it on there. If not there, definitely American Bandstand or something. So... um, his, it was the fifth single from his album, Riptide, and it hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100, right behind Amanda by Boston. Well, as most things are. I mean, everything, let's face it, everything is behind Amanda by Boston. <laughs> by Boston. Yeah. 1986. I didn't even remember that song. I was like, Boston had a hit in 1986? Yeah, unfortunately, I do remember that song. What album was that from? Third Stage. <laughs> The album they made, they started recording in 1979 and finished in 1986. (laughs) Yeah. 
So there's, literally, I mean, I'm not even. I'm saying I'm putting it out there in joking terms, but that's actually the case. Oh, really? Well, yeah, they had all kinds of crazy shit where they like spent three years recording it, and then like their studio got flooded or burned down, and they lost the tapes, and they had to start again, and just it was it was. They had the kind. They had the time. The kind of time recording that third album that you had getting here on the subway oh, today. Oh fuck! All yeah. right, well, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a long ass time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sidebar, people. Uh, everybody keeps saying, "Oh, we're back. New York is back. New York is back." We are not back. I keep saying it. I'm gonna keep on saying it until like 10 years passes by when we're back to normal. The only thing that's normal is that the subways still suck, but they suck even harder now because all these people quit the MTA. And so now they're running on a skeleton crew and it took me two hours to get here, which was insane. I left an extra 20 minutes early and still got here two hours. Yeah, it was funny. As, as I was waiting for you, I thought she could have walked here in the time it's taken for her. I to- would have gotten here faster. Yeah. Ugh. Ridiculous. So that is a good analogy. I guess that took forever. All right, so now we're going to listen to these two back to back, back to back, and then pick a winner. I mean, that's such a, it's such a distinct sound. I mean, I, I just, I, you would know that anywhere. The minute that comes on, you instantly, you instantly know that's Sherelle that that and that's that Sherelle. song. Nothing else sounds like that. Do you, do you need to hear the Robert Palmer? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, well, because so that, well, that I've heard, that was all over oh, on yeah, TV. Yeah. And, uh, 
Yeah, boy, yeah. that was just a... So, once again... Go ahead and say it, Paul. You just said it. Uh, well, I guess you're asking me who, who wins. I mean, Robert Palmer. <laughs> Robert Palmer. But I say that begrudgingly. Yes. Um, because this is another period of music, time period of music, that is a really airtight time capsule. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> because the exact same things were used on every fucking song. Yes. And as Paul has called out a million times before, and I've said it, um, that's just how it is. That's just how it was in the mid-80s. Everything was electronic. There were no live instruments. And it was the same 808s and the same synths and the same whatevers. Analog, blah, blah, blah. There wasn't a human element. No human. It was all metal machine. And um, especially if you're listening to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Excuse me, that was their total steez. And I ain't mad at it. It is what it is. But, you know, the the beginning mean, <laughs> the beginning of the Shirelle. <laughs> <laughs> like what song didn't sound like that? Yeah. And that Shirelle. is and that it, and it's a track like that that perfectly illustrated why I hated the eighties so much yeah. and why I thought the eighties were the end times at the time. Because this is what everything fucking sounded like. Yeah. And, I mean, things are so... Music is so god-awful now that the 80s sound great to me now by comparison. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I... I yeah. Yeah. And I'm... <laughs> I, uh, I'm... Thanked, thank you, universe, for bringing Paul into my life to make these things even more glaringly <laughs> evident to me. Because yeah, I can bring the hate in, you can in, bring in, the into hate focus even more. <laughs> even more, because in the past I would just be like, oh yeah, well, they all sound the same because, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you, like, no joke, you've really made me uh, more... Uh, Annoyed? <laughs> <laughs> Irritated by the the shite? Not annoyed, but you've made me... You've given me clearer, more clarity and more focus. So I listen to these things more intently. Like, oh, here's an example. Mark Bolan. Oh, well. Okay? Yeah. So as we've said before, I'm going to say it again, story. So, oh, yeah, Mark Bolan. And then Paul made it very clear to me that I was hypnotized by his good looks or whatever that every song is a fucking nursery rhyme and the chorus is repeated 8,000 times and that's the whole song. Right. And but we said this on the, it came up on an episode before. Yes. And so it's funny that this is even happening now because um, I posted something on my Instagram <clears throat> about modeling where all these people were like, oh, you look like Diana Ross, you look like Erica Badu, you look like Donna Summers, you look like blah, 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 joking about this. And then my friend John Variano, one of the instructors at the league, he messages me and he's like, oh, well, yeah, you kind of do look like all those chicks, but here's the person I think you really look like. And he sent me a picture of Mark Bolin. What? <laughs> yeah, joking around because of the oh, hair. Oh, joking, okay. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? Well, yeah. well she, like, did you see Mary posted, our friend Mary Edwards, she posted somebody. Somebody told her recently that she looked like Diana Ross. Uh, yes, I did it's like, see that. Come on, really? Because uh, you know, even Mary's going really, really. <laughs> you know, we, like we look all we all look the same. Come on, yeah. people, please create. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so when I wrote back to John, I was like, well, the one thing he was good at was all these sing-songy nursery rhymes that you know, blah 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 blah. And he's like, yes, I remember you and Paul talking about it on that episode. Ding. We and that's the, I mean, and the thing about Mark Bolin too. I mean, I can understand liking it, and 
you know, and getting into it, but I just feel like people don't really see it for what it is. No, because we're hypnotized. Because everybody's listening with their eyes. Yeah. And there was something I saw recently where, it, I think it was just a meme or whatever, and it had, uh, it was like a, a series of photos of different guitar players and different artists, like great guitar players, uh, Les Pauls, and all these gold top Les Pauls, oh. you know, here's Jimmy Page's, and right. here's so-and-so, and one of them was Mark Boland's, and I'm like, what? Come on, guys. I mean, Mark Boland played guitar, but I mean, he's, come Not- on, you know, you cannot put him in the category with all these guys. I don't care how great his hair was, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he looked really good in flamingo pink satin pants with no underwear, and a blouse tied up, riding a skateboard. That looked, that was hot, <laughs> right, right. but uh, he's not a guitar player by any stretch that could be put. He, he just in gets any... the job done. He just you know well if if that. But anyway, well we we don't. I guess yeah. we don't need to talk about. Mark we digress. Yeah, yeah. We digress in a yeah. major way. Anyway, so yeah, so there's that. So, uh, so, yeah, Robert Palmer. Yeah, he wins this. I I do well. You know what? For me, it's a tie. I love the Sherelle version, and I love the Robert Palmer version. I'm going to cop to that. Yeah. Well, now, the Sherelle version, is that something that you listened to at the time? Is, oh, yeah. is it one of those things like Sisters of Mercy where it's like, well, you know, it was a thing for me then. It, so. it was because it was a huge dance hit. And here's the irony of it. The irony of it all. So there was this club in Philly called the East Side Club that I used to go to with my friends in college. It's 1984. And on Friday nights... It was Power 99 night, which was the black station that everybody listened to, the popular black station. And then on Saturday nights, it was like, oh, rape, murder. It was, was, you know, punk rockers went on Saturdays. So I would go to both nights, and I would go Friday night with my boyfriend, Keith, with all these black people looking all stylish in 1980, like we're just off a soul train, and would dance our asses off to that song. And then I'd go Saturday night, and... Suddenly you look like Diana Ross. Suddenly I look like Diana Ross. (laughs) I didn't change my clothes. And then we're in there spinning around to Susie and the Banshees and Sisters of Mercy. So, you know, I got it honest. That's why I like them both. I can't discount. And, you know, Jam and Lewis, they do no wrong in my book. I love them. All right. Song number four is, parentheses, I can't get no, end parentheses, satisfaction. And I have... Uh, two, three. I have three covers of this. Everybody knows the original is done by the Rolling Stones. Came out the day after my birthday. The actually the day after I was born. Your actual birthday. My yeah. actual birthday. It came out June fifth, nineteen sixty five. Uh, what was the album? Out of our heads, right? That was the American. Aftermath. Race. Oh no 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 no! It is out of our heads. I'm sorry. It is not aftermath. What am I talking about? Yeah, you know. Everybody knows this fucking song. Satisfaction. Ugh. So I got three covers. The first one is by Otis Redding. Hey. And that is from his album Otis Blue slash Otis Redding Sing Soul, which was also released in 1965. He claimed that he did not know the lyrics of the song. <clears throat> Quote, I use a lot of words different than the Stones version, he noted. That's because I made them up. Of that session, Steve Cropper said, If you've ever listened to the record, you can hardly understand the lyrics, right? I sat down to a record player. I sat down. I sat down. I sat down. S-E-T. I sat down to a record player and copied down what I thought were the lyrics, and I handed Otis a piece of paper, and before we got through with the cut, he threw the paper on the floor, and that was it. 
So okay, there you go. So Robert Christgau from Rolling Stone says that it's an anarchic reading of the Stones' original, <laughs> which is a diplomatic way of saying it's wrong. It's wrong, um, and uh, yeah, wasn't this the one that uh, Keith Richard played the riff on the? tape recorder and fell asleep and then it was like 40 yeah he supposedly woke up in the shit. middle of the night in a in a hotel room in you know right new orleans or wherever the fuck yeah he said he recorded it and fell asleep and it was like 40 minutes of him snoring and two seconds of the riff or whatever it was um <laughs> yeah, all right he forgot to turn it off you forgot to turn yeah. it off yeah because he was sleepy quote unquote yes all right the second cover that i have is done by the amazing american avant-garde band called the residents and uh, this was recorded and released on their own, of their own accord, not on a label or anything, in 1976. And it was released in an edition of only 200 copies. Mm-hmm. And it was a cult sensation. Uh, do you like do you like The Residents at all? You know, I'm, I'm actually not... I, I don't really... I've never listened to them. In the, yeah. Um, the Residents are weird. People who are into music and go to record stores or used to back in the olden days uh anytime you saw a bunch of four or five guys in tuxedos with giant eyeballs for heads and top hats that's the residents uh they did experimental music kooky weird shit um and then the third cover i have is by devo which a lot of people also know and this was released in 1977 as a single self-produced once again because nobody would touch these people with a 10-foot pole no record labels would do it and um then it was re-recorded with brian eno as the producer for their first album and that version album album i keep saying album wrong album album i listen back to these shows and i'm like album album (laughs) album album sam cook album where do you go album where do you go um yeah so that was 78 and when they were signed to warner brothers um after it was played for mix approval oh yes right they had does, to play it. does he does he want to receive publishing any money yes i do <laughs> yes i do i yeah i listened to it it's fine yeah it was really really interesting and really great and i, I think i did a fine job. job where's my check where's my check uh yeah 500 million dollars um so uh, that version, Martin Scorsese used it in Casino, and uh, it was used in a bunch of different stuff by Devo. So, you know, we're going to listen to these things and pick it up.
Okay, so <laughs> All right. the trout mask replica version. Yeah, basically. basically. Uh, yeah, so gee whiz, who wins this? Wow. O.C. Smith. No, kidding. <laughs> kidding. Smith. Kidding. Uh, well, yeah. Obviously the Rolling Stones, even though I'm pretty damn tired of that track. So that's the thing. I mean, I don't get tired of Gimme Shelter, but I'm a bit tired of Satisfaction. Yeah. I... I don't ever need to hear the song again, ever, for the rest of my life, as well. But I do like the Otis version, even though he made up his own words. And I love the Devo version, because that's another time capsule thing. You know, they had the kooky video with the guy flopping on his back, spaz attack, that dude. And, uh, you know, I like both of them. Do Are they better than the Stones version? They're just different. And then... You know, the residents, I mean. Of course it's different, because they're the residents. Right. But it definitely sounds to me like... Yeah, like like they're doing Captain Beefheart. Yeah. Weird minor trombones and trumpets and... Oh, God, God, no! Yeah. <laughs> and some weird microphone, yeah. It's kind of weird. But, you know, whatever, the residents. They're popular. All right, song number five is Sarah Smile. Everybody knows this, right? I think. All right. So Sarah Smile is a song written and recorded by American, by the American musical duo Hall & Oates, and it was released as the second single from their album, Daryl Hall and John Oates. The song was the group's first top ten hit in the United States, reaching number four on the Billboard Hot 100. And it uh, came out in 1975 as the second cut, Bobbity-Bop-Bop-Ba. They played it on their tour September to November that year. With a reviewer noting that listeners who liked She's Gone would also like the softer ballad, Sarah Smile. And then in 75, it was sent out as a 45 single, 7-inch single. Um, It entered the chart at 91. And then went up there. Uh, co-written by both halves of the duo, Sarah Smile turned out to be Hall & Oates's breakthrough single. It's a really good song. And it was written about Hall's then-girlfriend, stewardess Sarah Allen. The couple was together for almost 30 years before breaking up in 2001. Damn. Yeah. She also uh, wrote lyrics for them. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she was a lyricist. Like, she doesn't write lyrics, I don't think, for that song, but stuff like I Can't Go For That, like the later stuff. Yeah, she did. That's right. I remember that. Um, Yeah, it was a big hit. So I've got two covers here. The first one is by Boys to Men (laughs) from their album called Throwback in 2004. And then the second cover I have is by Jimmy Wayne, who is a country singer. And he released his version in 2009 with backing vocals from Hall & Oates. Whoa! Ah, yeah, yeah! Uh, that version debuted at 51 on the Hot Country Singles chart, dated October 3rd, 2009, and serves as the title track for his third album, Sarah Smile. What is with these people naming their album after a song that they didn't write? Well, I don't know. Maybe the mindset that one has to be in to waste their time recording such a cover is the same mindset that leaves them not really knowing what the hell to call their album. album. (laughs) This happens all the time. Good grief. All right. So some cranky guy named Sam 
Gadziak of Engine 145, I don't know what that is, gave the song a thumbs down, saying that it was almost reverential to the original and that Wayne's vocals showed R&B influences because he was some crank-ass country reviewer, but added that it, quote, has no business being played on a country radio station. Uh, But Bobby Peacock of Rough Stock gave a more positive review, also saying that it was well-sung, maybe not well-hung, but well-sung, but not country-sounding, but added that it was a, quote, refreshing change of pace from the bombast of Do You Believe Me Now, Wayne's last album. So, we're going to listen to these and just see how uncountry Jimmy Wayne's version is. Baby hair with a woman's eyes I can feel you watching in the night All alone with me I were waiting for the sunlight When I feel cold You're warm and when I feel I can't go on, you come and hold me. It's you and me forever.
Ah, I uh, love it. Ooh. Oh, for fuck's sake. All right, so obviously Hall and Oates wins this. Jesus Christ. I mean, come the fuck on. And <laughs> I'm sorry, he's wrong. That was some young country that there. Was, that was young country. That was country. There was a slide guitar and a banjo. That makes it country. In well, my book. I, I, it, it didn't sound that country to me, but it was definitely young country, it, yeah, which I isn't mean, really, really country. It wasn't hillbilly. You know, it wasn't Hank Williams Jr. or the third or whoever. But uh, it has no business being played on a country chart. Why not? They're country. Well, There's a banjo. Like, like most things that are on the chart at this point. At this so. point, well, who cares? Yeah. I mean, that came out, what year was that? 2009. You know. Hmm. Garth Brooks was really popular. I mean, but he was more hillbilly. Uh, anyway, I say that it's country because there was a banjo and slide guitar. That's enough to make it country. <laughs> um, the Boys to Men, Paul lasted 14 seconds. And and I was holding out. Was, I, I, I was really? actually... <laughs> yeah. You really wanted me to just, like, uh, yeah, baby, I, and then just yeah, cut it? Yeah, I mean, really, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So the problem with the Boys to Men track is, once again, it was the early aughts. And the boy band thing, well, no. Those guys can sing their asses off. But if we had gone any further into that, (laughs) you would have heard it was nonstop runs. They're doing yeah. all every other note. It's just, yeah, it's, 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 not, the, it's the it's the it's the Malmsteen approach to vocals. Thank vocals. you. It's not necessary, and we have Mariah Carey to blame mostly for that. But uh, it again, like why this song is perfect as is. Why do you need to cover it unless you're going to do a reggae version or a metal version or something completely off track? But if you're basically going to do the same thing, what is the point? Yeah. That is definitely a case that there are three versions where there's a winner and a loser. <laughs> right. Because, of course, Hollow Notes wins. Yeah. But the boys to men lose. Yeah. By far. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. It's a disappointment. Mm, all right. So, Hollow Notes. I want to know how Kenny Wayne Shepherd. What's the boy's name? <laughs> Excuse me, Jimmy Wayne. How did they? How did he get you guys to sing backing vocals? I don't know. And boy, did they sound good. All right, here is the last song of this episode, song number six. It's called Fancy. Well, well. Well. Stop <laughs> it. It's fancy. And uh, the original is by the Kinks from their album called Face, face to Face. face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no. I'm sorry. I'm just. You said fancy, and I'm thinking. Wait a minute. Didn't we already do this? Do a song called we fancy. Did, we did a song called fancy. That's but correct. Not this one. Yes. And that record came out when Paul. 1966. Yeah. Um, Ray Davies suffered a nervous breakdown just prior to the major recording sessions for this album. I did. But not, it was a very fancy nervous breakdown. But yes, album. I did it again. Album. Uh, I did not know that he had a nervous breakdown. That was news to me. Yeah. Was it anything in particular, or he just... Yeah, you know, just a lot of pressure. pressure. He was, you know, he, he was, he just got married, and he was having a kid, and he had just become a pop star, and oh. he's being, yeah, yeah. That's you know. a lot of stuff, yeah. Uh, in contrast to the band's earlier, quote, raunchy sound, he had started to introduce a new, softer style of writing the previous year with compositions such as A Well-Respected Man, a Dedicated Follower of Fashion, and uh, Sunny Afternoon. So... 
Rock historians have credited the album as arguably one of the first pop rock concept albums. Face to face? Yeah. Yeah, people say that, but... Uh, With the loose common theme of social observation. So, okay, in not other much words, a it's a Ray Davies song. Uh, yeah. You know? In the album, albums... God damn it, Well, I guess by that, by, that, by that token, I guess all Kiss albums are concept albums, because they're all about their dicks. Yes. So, I mean, there's a common thread there. Hey, it's the same thing over and over again. There you go. There you go. Um... The in the album's original conception, Ray Davies attempted to bridge the songs together with a sound with sound effects, but he was forced by Pie Records to revert to the more standard album format before the album's release. <laughs> I hear you trying to say albumist as many times as I possibly can. <laughs> the same effects remain, such as in Party Line. Holiday in Waikiki, Rainy Day in June, and in songs that included on the final album, End of the Season, Big Black Smoke. What sound effects was he going to do? I don't know about that. Wait. Uh, he said that, that he wanted to put sound effects in between the songs, but oh, they were like, no, no you I, can't I, do okay, that. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, guys. I, I tuned out for a second there. <laughs> but I'm back. <laughs> He's um, back. No, you know what? I, I didn't know that. And there are no... Sound Nothing effects. like that. But if he wanted to put in sound effects between the tracks, then that means that he was kind of thinking of it in thematic terms. Yeah. So if that's the case, I'll buy that. I just thought that was something that others were putting on it. Oh, no, that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, Pie, P-Y-E Records? Yeah, that was a British label. Okay. Never heard of them. All right, I got two covers for this. One of them you may be expecting. Oh, shit. Uh, but this one is not it. Uh, Yo La Tengo. Did the cover of this? Yeah, Yola Tango are... They wear their kinks fandom on their sleeves. I am not... I know nothing about Yola Tango. I think I saw them once opening for somebody else and I wasn't paying attention. Um, uh, I, you know, I need to listen to them more. So this is from their album. This is album... This is where I belong. The Songs of the Kinks came out in 2002. I think that this cover is very weird and very meditative... And the vocal is too soft, but I like it. And oh, and I do know which one of the co- what one of the covers are. Okay, then tell me, tell me who it is. Maybe I mean, is Red Cross not one of them? That's correct. I was gonna say it would have to be Red Cross. Uh, from a single, the flip side was Lady in the Front Row. Uh, well, it's that's the B side of Lady in, in the Front Row. In 1993, Lady in the Front Row is the A side, yeah. And then Teen Babes from Monsanto in 1984. Well, no, teen, yeah, see, Teen Babes from Monsanto is a, a, a covers EP that they put out in 1984, but and just a few years ago they reissued it with extra tracks to make it a full length, and they added other covers that they had recorded over the course of their career, including that one. But oh. that's actually a 90s cover. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, 93. That's what I got. This is very confusing. Because I know that they would do that, uh, re-shuffle stuff around from whenever, back in the day. All right, so we're going to listen to these two, these three with the original, these two with the original, and then pick a winner.
right. So I know that you are a huge Red Cross fan. Who, me? Yes, you. <laughs> Couldn't be. Then who? Uh, yes, you're a big Red Cross fan. And you're an even bigger Kinks fan. Are you a Yola Tango fan? No. No? Okay. Do, uh, do you have any other records? Have you listened no. to them, seen them? No. I mean, I remember them. Like that, well, you said the, the year of that Kinks tribute record that they're on is from 2002. Two. That's pretty much exactly the moment anybody would have known who they were or heard their name. Like, like you know, yeah. to, to the minute. I, uh, they're a mystery to me, Yola Tango. Not Tango, Tango. T-E-N-G-O. Yeah. That annoys me. But you know what? I'm going to do some homework on, my, on the way home and listen to one of the records, I guess. So uh, who wins here besides the Kings? Besides the Kings? Nobody. The Kings. <laughs> Nobody. Just I mean, the well, Kings. Yeah, no, Red Cross, their, their version is fine and everything, but I mean, come on. Kings. It's, yeah, Kings. I like the Red Cross version. Yeah, it's good, and I love Red Cross, but I mean, it's yeah. just one of those Guitars. things. Guitars! Yeah, it's, but it's just one of those things where it's just like, oh, well, the... The King's version is all that... That's all we need. We need. Yeah. yeah. Again. Why? I mean, I did used to... Uh, I, I did used to really enjoy seeing them do it live. And they recorded it and they put it out as a B-side. And that's fine as a B-side. But, yeah. I mean, it's nothing that's going to compete with anything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know. It's... Uh, yeah. They're fine. I like the Yola Tango. It's Okay. Yeah, I have to listen to them more. All right, so that's it. That wraps up episode number... Ding, 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 24. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of stuff there. So, thank you for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. Thank you once again, Paul. Yo. For uh, turning on the studio here today. La. (laughs) And uh, that's it. Uh, You know, stick around for episode 25. Happy motoring, everybody.